Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. In Turkey, what Paul is doing in the neighboring country is Iran. Iran is um, east of Turkey. It borders a section of the, um, of the eastern border of Turkey. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Um, and, but it's the, most, um, it's the most oppressed as far as, uh, for Christians, it's the most highly persecuted ch- uh, nation in the world. Nations are, um, nations, Christians are killed for their faith in Turkey. Um, yet it is the fastest growing church in the world. And they, they border Turkey. Um, and so to me, it's quite clear. There's no reason, so there's no wonder the fast growth because persecution makes a, a, a true believer of a person really quickly <laughs> and sorts out who's not really a believer or who's along for the fun or the ride, right? Persecution has a way of just doing that. And so you'll find like China too. China has 200,000, uh, 200 million people in the underground church in China. That's, that's two-thirds or almost two-thirds of the Americans' total population here in the USA. Like, and they're underground Christian believers and their church over there is going at lightning speed uh, um, pace compared to what is happening here. And a lot of it has to do with these people are not going to mess around. If you say that you love Jesus, you are going to be someone who is given your whole life to Jesus. And there's not any kind of lukewarmness because persecution comes. It sorts out the lukewarm really quickly. And um, so in that regard, I, I love I love. I don't want persecution for our nation. <laughs> Nobody wants it. <laughs> um, but it does sharpen us. It does make radical believers of us. And that's really what I want to talk about a little bit today. I'll just jump in and then in the, you know, in the next few weeks maybe finish this, pick it up on another Sunday sometime. Um, this, message, this message, I just... Well, should open? <laughs> it's the upside down, inside out, back to front kingdom of God. I think a lot of you understand when I say that what I might mean. The upside down, inside out, back to front kingdom of heaven. It's called this life, I keep using this term, heavenly radicals. Heavenly radicals, people that are just going to live understanding we are seated with Christ right now. It's our heavenly, uh, eternal reality right now is um, from Ephesians chapter 4. I think, think, I'm not sure what verse, but it's in Ephesians 4, but also in Colossians um, verse 3, 1. And it is, we are right now seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so when that revelation drops into your heart, it changes the way you live. Because now you're not living to something. You're not living, be a better Christian, pray a little more, do a little more do a little give a little more uh, uh, you're not trying to win the favor of the father you already have it and so you're living from this place of a great revelation of I am loved and I'm seated in this place in heaven now because the bible tells me that and so even though I walk around on this physical earth the heavenly eternal reality is that right now I'm seated with Christ and so I can live with that revelation which means I don't have to come under any of the circumstances that the world is going to try and throw my way. And not when I say the world, I really mean the enemy, right? I don't have to come under a single one of his circumstances because my eternal reality is that I'm seated with Christ in heaven right now. And then what does that mean? So what does it mean to live if I'm, if I'm seated with Christ right now? What are the things that are going on in heaven? What is heaven like? Right? That's what I want to talk about a little bit. So 
Maybe three months ago on one of our Sunday night teaching nights, um, we have the Sunday night teaching nights, it's just an hour of teaching, it's really just to get more of the word and more of understanding of, of, of really living this kind of life in Christ, that our lives would look like Christ, right? They're meant to look like Christ, our lives. And so, so that's what the Sunday nights are for. But one of the Sunday nights, we were sitting outside at the Montella's house and um, we were praying and I saw Jesus just walk in amongst, because it's beautiful, they've got this beautiful outdoor area. I saw Jesus just start to come in and walk amongst us and start to lay his hands on people and just pray for people like he was impartation type prayer. But what was really significant was his clothing, because when I see him, he's not always... The clothing is, is different sometimes, right? But to that day, the clothing was, it looked, I'm vibrating now. It looked, ah, oh, I love you, Jesus. It looked electric. I don't, probably you could find much better. Dazzling white. In, if you look in the book of Luke chapter 8, it tells the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And it says his face was changed and his clothing started to look dazzling white, gleaming white. It looked alive. Right? That's what it says in Luke. But that's what I was looking at that day at the Montella's house. And it was, it was like, it didn't look anything like normal clothing. It looked alive. It, it, was, it looked alive. And if you understand that he is the resurrection and the life and everything in heaven is alive, you understand then that the clothing itself too, it, it is living because he is life. Right? Everything about him, everything he does is life, is light, is love, right? And so the very clothing on him looked alive and crackling. If I was to touch it, I, I felt like I could hear, hear like a crackle of like that sparky, powerful presence of God in a, the crackle of it. And I was telling Ryan, who's here, hello, um, uh, Ryan, and he was at the meeting. So I was told him, I was like, oh, I, I saw Jesus walking around. And I described the clothing, and he goes, "You should go and listen to Jesse Duplantis's testimony from heaven. Have you heard of Jesse Duplantis? Yeah. Right. So he's got this. He's got this um, YouTube. You can look it up. And I, I ask you to go look up J- Jesse J E S S E Duplantis. It's D U P L A N T I S. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking around. Someone help me. Um, so Jesse Duplantis." my testimony in heaven, of going to heaven. He went to heaven and he was there for a few hours. And so, by the way, this is biblical. Paul said, I know a man who was in heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, right? We actually, all, everybody who, scholars and everything, actually agreed that that was Paul. He just didn't want to stick his name on it, right? So, so Jesse was in heaven and I was listening to the testimony um, like that evening. And this is this is where this, this whole message and what I, I think at any time I'll speak in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to just keep bringing this up to you. And the reason is, um, Jesse was in heaven and the first person that he met was an angel, but one of the next people he met was um, Abraham from the Bible, Father Abraham. And he said this of Abraham and then the other men that he met too and, and women. Um, Abraham ran to serve me a glass of water. Serve. Understand, this is what I'm getting at. Abraham ran to serve me, 
to bring me water. I was in heaven and I was getting thirsty. He goes, I was in my physical body. So you understand the electricity and the life and what was happening in there was so much that it was draining my own physical strength. And they were giving me fruit and they were giving me water. But it was Abraham who ran to serve me and give it to me. And, and, and Jesse DePlantis said, well, you don't, you don't have to do that for me. I can, I can get my own. And, and Abraham's words to him were, no, Jesse, this is what we do here. We serve. We serve here. We serve here. And he kept hearing that from people. We serve here. King David turned up and, and said, we serve here. This is, I'm here for you, to do this for you. And so he was there having different experiences for a few hours. And each of these people, who you think in a world sense, in the worldly understanding of the social ladder, they're the people on the top and, and, and you know, we'd, we'd be people somewhere toward the bottom. <laughs> and there's that social hierarchy, right? Well, not in heaven. It is Father Abraham, who's the father of all of us, the father of our faith. And he's the one meeting a person in heaven saying, would you like a glass of water? So, the upside down, inside out, back to front values of the kingdom of heaven are what God is asking us to live by. I'm not trying to preach this whole message right now, so I'm just looking for the scripture that I did want to read. Um, This is the ESV. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Luke 22, if you can open up to there. I'm just going to read a story, and it'll be familiar to some people. And it happens a few times, by the way, this kind of thing. Um, There are a few times when the disciples themselves, with Jesus, (laughs) arguing who is the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Don't I go first? Don't I get to go first? Can I sit at your left? Can I sit at your right, Jesus? And they'd always be trying to strive and battle their way for first place. Better seen in front of the people right? They were always trying to, who's, who's first? Who's going to take first place? But I, 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 if you're reading through some of those passages, read what was just happening before it and just happening right after it. Because very often in those instances, what was happening right before they started arguing over who would be first, what was just happening was that some kind of massive miracle happened and they didn't have the faith to understand it. And in their lack of faith and lack of understanding, they turned inward and started arguing with one another over who was better. So read, when you notice those passages, read around about it. Read the context of why they were even arguing because sometimes it just had to do with their own lack of faith and their fear crept in because of lack of faith, right? So Luke 22, here we go again. Verse 24, it says, A dispute arose among them. So here they are again. (laughs) A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest, (laughs) And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is reclining at the table or the one who is serving? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? So Jesus is saying, In the world system, it is the person who's bringing the food and bringing the water who is the least, lesser. It is the person reclining at the table who is the greater. The person being waited on is greater. Maybe they have more money. Maybe they have more social status. doesn't matter what are the reasons. 
But the person bringing the food is the one who's lesser in this kingdom. But to really be people who understand the value set of the kingdom of God and to be, live as real heavenly radicals, we have to understand in the kingdom it is the person who is servant of all who is the greatest. So the lowest place, the person who is serving, really is the greatest in the kingdom. And if we are going to be people who live heaven's values here now, on the earth now, we have to understand that's what we've got to do, to step up and understand my role here is not to be, okay, I lead the church, right? I have a microphone. But it's not what makes me great. It's not what makes me famous and celebrity pastor. None of that stuff that actually is disgusting, worldly thinking that has crept into the church. Worldly, carnal, secularized, which then becomes very demonically empowered thinking into the church. Because all of us are to be here just like Jesus was when he said, I am among you as one who serves. If you, that's in Luke. But if you look in the other Gospels, that part of that story comes at the end of the foot washing. And Jesus bends down, gets in the dirt, and he takes a, a, a servant towel, and he washes his, his, his uh, disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, don't wash mine. I should wash yours. And he goes, no, you have no part in me if I don't get to wash your feet today. So Peter submitted and let him wash his feet. But here's, here's what a, this is, I think, really amazing. The word serve, not always, because sometimes, but the, or I'll start with this instead. The word to minister, biblically, the word to minister is diaconus. Conus comes from the word that means dust, dirt to get down in the dirt. So that's what the word we get. When, when you read Jesus ministered to this piece of person, it's Jesus diac, diaconus or diacon, right? Diacon, just change it. Anyway, Jesus got down in the dirt, right? So Jesus ministered to this person. Diaconus means minister, to minister to someone or do ministry. So it also means serve. And the translators, depending on the context, would translate it, to serve someone or to minister to someone. There's no difference. It's the same thing. And so standing in front of someone or washing their feet down in the dirt, like Jesus got down in the dirt, diaconus, conus, kicking up dust, it means to kick up dust, right? Jesus got down in the dirt so that he could wash his, the, the feet of his disciples and show what true leadership is about is to get down and go down further and get down further so that you can lift everybody else up. <laughs> That's the point, right? Our job is not to lift ourselves up. Our job is not to try and make something of ourselves in a worldly sense. Our job is to get so low that we can pull up everybody else and have them go further, stand on our shoulders and go much, much further. To serve people, to really honour and love people the way Jesus did is to give up our need for human accolades and fame and fortune. It's not that there's anything wrong with that stuff. You just don't chase it as the thing. And ministry is not a means to it. Jesus spent his whole life going down lower and lower and lower and lower till he finally went really down <laughs> under, under the earth and he preached <laughs> to all those, the dead in Christ, right? And if he's our model, of what it is like to love and serve this way, that's one of the values of the kingdom of God that we've got to start living here on the earth, here today, now. So we pray and sing songs 
God, your will, your way. You know, it's the, it's the Matthew 6 um, from verse 9. It says, Jesus, Jesus said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. I'm just breaking out King James Version, aren't I? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, his way, his will is done through our lives when we understand we are to live so radically different from the world system and to get down in the dirt and in the dust and kick it up so that we can pick up other people and pull them up out of whatever circumstances they might be living in so that their lives can be made whole before Jesus, right? To serve people, to really love people the way he wants us to love them. It's not at all pretty. It's not like glamorous, right? We, anyway. So Jesse Duplantis's um, message, like, it's, it's, I really do encourage you, look it up on YouTube. It's just Jesse Duplantis heaven or Jesse Duplantis my testimony of going to heaven because um, he just describes some very beautiful things and I know that it'll touch your heart um, and the thing that really just caught my heart more than anything was that it's, it is, is in heaven, it is service, it is all about service, it's all about service, diaconus service there's a lot of other things that I could talk about um, I don't know that I really want to move on from that um, I'm, I think that the church in America has done great damage to what it means to be a, a church leader. Australia too, I can put Australia right there. I think that people, um, it even predates American history, so it goes back before then, but, but America really as, as the church in the last 200 years has been uh, um, the demonstration at least of, of what it is. Uh, to think that to think that I should be the one standing here and getting your honour, or think that it makes the minister better, the person who preaches better, or the leader better, it has broken this nation. Because I'm no better. Paul said of the apostles, they're the least and the last, the back of the train, the back of the parade. The least and the last, back of the parade. Because once the work is done, literally, you're called to pour your life out for the Lord, right? And so in the pouring out of your life, there's nothing, there's nothing glamorous in that. There's nothing that I can go home and go, yeah, they loved me today. Or think that I should be earning some kind of big paycheck because I share the gospel. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Jesus did say, and the Bible does say that people are worth, you know, they're worth their work, like pay for them. It is to support the needs. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying from the position of a person who's a leader in the church, many, many in this nation have lost the perspective that we are here to serve and we've done great damage in this nation. Great, great damage because we've lost our way. The church then has lost its way. And that's why half the church right now still don't even understand that abortion is murder. 
And you have people shouting from the rooftops, I want women's justice. And they're in pulpits praying for women's justice and it's actually murder. But it's because for too long, for far too long, and it's in academic seminary areas too in the church world, lost our way because we thought it was about us. Haven't realised it's, if I'm not serving, and, and with love, by the way, because without love, I'm just a clanging symbol, right? But, but if I'm not serving, if I'm not here to serve, if I'm not here to just pour myself out like every last drop of my blood, get out. Go back to Australia. Like, what, what would I be here for? I, um, I do, I spent... 22 years here, sometimes really crying over this because more abuse has been done through church leadership and through pulpits. I'm, I'm not, this was not my message today. Um, but it's actually really breaking my heart because right now it's being exposed in a really big way and the breaking of my heart is not that, because there's people in a wrong sense cheering it on going, yeah, look at evil church. That's just the world, right? But then you have many in the church. As the exposure is happening, the disillusionment in the church is so great that people who have loved Jesus or have been in church for so long are crashing and burning out because disillusionment is happening because they're like, I trusted this person. What do you mean? Wrong trust, like false loyalty, like false, a false sense of, of lifting this person up and idolatrizing leadership because they've been taught to, by the way. Listen to your leader and obey your leader more than you'd obey the Holy Spirit type conversations. It is spiritual idolatry. Uh, uh, not trying to go here, like I said, but I feel like... We're here to serve. We're here to serve. And that does not just me, right, as someone who runs a church now. Every single one of us, the life of Jesus Christ was lived as an expression of great love, great sacrifice, and great service in the sacrifice. Because the service is the sacrifice. He went so low, so, so low. His very own life spent, bankrupted heaven to spend his life on behalf of us, to give his heart, his life, everything over to us. He held nothing back in his service to humanity. And that's the demonstration for us, is that we would become people who just understand, as Jesus is in the world, so am I. As Jesus is in the world, so am I. So if he's someone who didn't hold anything back and, and willingly spent his last drop of blood, can we not be the kind of people who just can so look past the silliness of the world stuff that goes on? Because the world is crappy stuff that comes off people's lips, TVs, social media, whatever. Like there's some silly stuff that goes on, right? But that is sent to you to distract you or accuse you or make you sit down and make you think you're not worthy or make you think that you shouldn't have to serve because the other person didn't serve or, or making service look so like something that's unworthy. Unworthy because I'm above it. Well, Jesus wasn't above it and we're not above Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to read. I'm going to read this. Um, I 
I'm going to read just a couple of words that mean what it means to be radical. Because this is what it is. We're called to radically love, radically serve people, radically be very prophetic, right? Our prophetic company is called um, Heavenly Radicals. <laughs> um, I'm going to read this though. Um, to be radical, it just means to come from the original root to grow off the original root. Biblically, we're told, be rooted in Christ. This is So one of the words of to be radical is to come from the root and be original root. Um, to be fundamental or basic or of first elements. The, the, the God's original design for us, to be like God's original design for us, there was the first Adam in the garden, but Jesus is the second Adam, the final Adam. His life is what our lives should look like, right? To be radical is to be thoroughly or extremely different from accepted or traditional forms or status quo. Romans 12, 22, uh, sorry, uh, uh, 12, verse 22, 2, verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, right? We have to live in conformity to Jesus Christ, again, as the original heavenly radical, right? In conformity to his life in every aspect, in the way that he served and loved and sacrificed, right? But in the way that he, I'm talking generally, but service especially, Romans 8.29 says, For those Jesus foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. Again, our lives are meant to look like his. Okay, another, under, another, meaning for, um, another way to bring out the meaning of radical is favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, and conditions or institutions. And that has to do with us being reformers and bringing light to dark places. And if we're really going to be radical people, understanding our job is to be change agents in the world, quite radical change agents in the world, not just get in the world and blend in, but once you're there, whatever it is that you're doing, stand there and understand that Christ in you is making you so incredibly different and that the Christ in you is a magnet to other people around about you and the minute you start speaking his words of love and generosity, living like him and then prophetically grabbing his words, you literally will become that change agent around about you. The world will look different just because you stepped into a place or a room or a, or a job or a school or wherever it is that you are. You bring change. So to be radically like Jesus. Anyway... Yeah, I'll leave the rest of those. The, 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 God, have your way in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. If you're praying that as the first thing, right, you are inviting heaven to come and change you, Jesus to come and change you. If you're praying that on a daily basis, degree by degree, your life is going to be lining up and looking more like Jesus every single day. And that is the whole point of being a Christian. <laughs> and, so, and so the very, very radical life that he lived, he's asking us to live just like that. And, and uh, I know, I know um, not everybody in the room knows me or people know me to different degrees. I know that. But for those that do know me well, you know I don't fear a single thing or a single person. 
right? And it's not because I'm good, and it's not because I'm strong, it's not because I, I, I've got this like wrong confidence and arrogant confidence about me. It's because of what I've allowed God to do in me. And the Lord says, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, the perfect love casts out all of fear, right? And so you can come again and again and again and again to him and allow his love to cast out all of that fear because the Bible says fear is a trap. The fear of man is a great trap. And so it stops you from being that radical person that Jesus wants you to be in the earth and really loving and living the way that he did, serving people, um, even though it doesn't look pretty, right? Serving people the way he served people when you've really been set free by his love. You've been set free by the person they're even turning up into their world to serve and love. They might not appreciate it, but you've turned up anyway. You might have someone on the other side accusing you of every kind of wrong thing, but you're turning up to love and serve anyway because it doesn't matter what they're saying about you. To be people who really serve our neighbour. I'll I'll tell a little story. There's a lady in our neighbourhood and her name is Jo. She's... um, I think she's 87. Her, five months ago, her husband went into hospice care. I found out on the street just because I was walking and she always talks to me. I found out and so um, another neighbour told me and then she actually drove up so we were able to engage in the conversation. Her husband went into hospice care. She can't, because of the COVID policies, which are ridiculous, she can't just go and have a meal with him anymore. So she was going and spending all day with him and then coming home and eating like half a hot dog for lunch, going back to the hospital and eating the other half at night. <laughs> right? right? And so I was like, oh, Jesus, she can't do that. She'll end up in hospital really quickly. And, and, so, and so from that day till now, um, we've just fed her every night like lots of food, like good proteins, some pastas and really healthy vegetables and fruits. And so every day, um, my kids have even helped me, Clayton's helped me. We just, we've just produced food for her for five months now. So it's just the sixth person we're feeding, right? Um, but it's not easy. It's a sacrifice. But service is a sacrifice. Because now I'm planning a little differently how I make my meals. I'm like, okay, if I'm making a meal for five, I'm actually going to double it so I can make an extra one for her, but then four more because I freeze them. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm, so I'm doing, what is it called, food, food prep? Yeah, food prep stuff. So I'm doing like tons of extra food prep stuff for her. Well, her family came in town and they ate up all. I, she, had, she had months of food. I'd put months in her freezer. So, so if we were out of town or something happened where, she, where I wasn't able to give her fresh stuff, she just had months of food there, right, in her freezer ready to go. All her family came in town and ate it all. <laughs> and, so, and I had a bit of an attitude. I was like, Jesus, they're adults like me. They should be looking after her. <laughs> so, but I kept producing the food for her and just a little bit extra knowing they're all there, right, going... God, this is a bit hard. I don't want to get an attitude, a wrong attitude about this because they're well able. They've probably got way more money than I do. Like this, like eight of them. <laughs> so surely one of them knows how to cook, you know. And um, anyway, they all left town and I'm now, again, just trying to build up her freezer store and, and do all the food prep for her and, and, um, and um, brought more food over to her the, day, the second day they left. I'm there second day later. And she stood with me and cried and held on to me, like held on to me, crying, shaking. She's tiny, 87-year-old. 
And she, oh, I'm going to cry. She goes, she goes, because she's a Christian, all her family are not. You saved me. You saved me. She goes, I had nothing to give all my family. They have all this expectation on her, all the expectations on her, and she's frail, and she's 87, and she just lost her husband, right? And they just don't get it. They're unsaved, so you can't, we're not going to judge them, right? And, and she stood there crying her eyes out and, and hugging me and shaking, crying. You saved me. You saved me. Because of you, I had food to give to my family. So, so don't you know, I, I cried with her a little bit, but then I walked home going, sorry for the attitude, Jesus. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but it was the Lord who dropped in my heart that first day, just give, make sure she's looked after. And he dropped in my heart, you're just going to love her into heaven, Right. She's 87. She lost her husband and none of her family live close. Like they all live, close, I think the closest is two and a half, three hours away. And, that, and that's her older brother. <laughs> and the rest live like in Atlanta and way, way far, California. And so and the Lord was like, you're just going to love her into heaven. Right? And so, so sometimes on my Saturdays, I'll spend like six or seven hours a day just cooking 30 meals so I can freeze them and half of them go in my freezer for her later and half of them go over to her freezer, right? <laughs> and, so, and so what is that? It's just loving someone. And Jesus said to me, you're loving her into heaven. You're going to love her into heaven. And it doesn't, it's not hard to love people and serve them like that. And sometimes we might have to check ourselves on our attitude. I just told you I had to check my own attitude, right? But, but, but I, know, I, know, I know out of heaven I'll get to see her. And, she'll, and, and, and the reuniting. Thank you. You helped me in my most needed moments when I had no family members around about me. And I was 87 and frail and couldn't even get to the store on any good day, Right? It's not hard to just step up and love people and engage people at the level that they need. And that's all God asks us to do. It's not hard to serve unless we've got big egos. And that's, if I circle back to the church thing, I think in the church, wrongly, we've lifted up what I do as the be-all, end-all ministry moment. It's not. This is the least the abs, and I'm going to say it, least, least important. And Paul again said, back of the line, back of the parade. Who's at the front of the parade? The 87-year-old frail person who can't help herself. So we've got to get this understanding that the upside down, inside out, back to front kingdom, the values are completely opposite to the world system. It's complete opposite to the world system. And, and one of the most important things is that we understand is that to, to be people who really love the Lord, we're going to live like the Lord and he served us and our job is to serve others, right? Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. So I'm going to, um, I'm just going to pray. Um, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, so, um, I find this funny. In Greek, I, as in me, I, the Greek word for it is E-G-O, ego. <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, that's really funny, right? God's got a sense of humor. Um, 
So Jesus, less of us, less of me, less of I. We're asking God, I'm asking, I'm asking, help us be people who put that on the altar and, and let it burn away, become like something literally that we give up, that our lives literally would be living sacrifices, lived for your glory, lived for your honor lived in true humility, true, I pray that we'd have a revelation of what true humility looks like, not the false versions that many do display even in the church that you, Jesus, you went after and you called it hypocrisy. True humility, God, help us have a right revelation of true humility and true love and true servanthood, like serve, leader, leaders serve, leadership is service, it's servanthood. Help us be people who are, actually understand what it means to live like you and have our lives line up every single moment of every single day with who you are, Jesus. I pray that we would value serving, rightly value serving, uh, just like heaven does. We serve here, Jesse. We serve here, Jesse. It's from the YouTube. We serve here, Jesse. God, I just pray out of heaven that we'd be people who understand it is active service of love. It's loving. It's loving to serve and love people. And I pray, God, that we'd be people who become great servants, that we'd be known for our service, that we'd be known for the way we lay ourselves down to be able to run and help someone else. Um, um, uh, 15, Romans 15, verse 1 and 2 in the message, it says that um, um, strength is for service. So anything that we might have in life is not for our own status. It is for service. It is for service. And so I just pray, Father, that we be people who understand everything you've given us is to be laid down, to be surrendered, to be given over to you so that you can take it up in loving service to someone else. And so we do give our lives like this and help us, God, if there is ego issues, if there is the, is the, the resistance to want to, to want to be served, it's okay to want to be served sometimes, right? We want to have our needs met. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about that area of heart pride or arrogance that might be lifted up and looking for stuff to be given to you rather than understanding Jesus said it's, well, actually in... Paul wrote it in Acts, summarizing Jesus, say, saying it is better to give than to receive. It is better to give than to receive because the more we give away to people, the more we show up and love and serve and give away to people, the more God actually pours out into us. It's the whole point. So Jesus, help us, help us understand it's better to, to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to lay down, lay aside and serve and give yourself to someone else's need than it is to receive. Help us be people who run to be able to help people. And thank you, God, in that place, the gospel is demonstrated powerfully. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.